You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss? Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, this is a great, great episode. You guys are in for a real treat, and I am recording this introduction from Austin, Texas. Uh, not here for work, just here for a friend's wedding, but nevertheless, it is a nice, cloudy February day here on 6th Street with music playing and people hopping around, and I think it's going to be a nice weekend. But uh, that is not important. What is important is today's episode. So today I have Alicia Malone on the podcast. Alicia is one of my favorite people in the whole world. She is an author. Her book, Backwards in Heels, is available for purchase now, all about women in film. Alicia is an advocate. She's outspoken. She is a classic movie fan, and uh, she loves independent features. She's just so intelligent and so smart and so passionate, such a fangirl, um, about all things cinema. And it was a real treat for me to have her. And, uh, you know, so when I invite people onto the podcast, I always give them the opportunity to, um, pick a movie that either is, as I say, on brand or off brand. So maybe it would surprise people that they would pick it. For instance, I was very surprised that, uh, that Hector Navarro picked, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs for his movie. Little did I know that he had an animation background. And of course that conversation led to talking about comics and Superman and <laughs> all things Disney and the medium of animation, uh, as opposed to just uh, Snow White. And with Alicia, she's, decided to stay on brand, but what came out of the conversation was a really interesting talk about um, filmmaking in general and directing and how things have changed and how things have not changed. Um, she picked The Best Years of Our Lives, which continues a war theme that seems to have appeared in my guests. And um, this is William Wyler's 1940s classic. And, you know, Alicia and I, as we discuss in the podcast, which you're about to hear, um, um, she, you know, this is a movie that when you think of William Wyler, if you think of William Wyler, you probably think of Ben-Hur or Roman Holiday or Funny Girl or the list goes on and on. Um, but The Best Years of Our Lives is a really a wonderful war drama that had about three veterans returning to the U.S. after World War II and how they and their families adjust to getting back to life. And um, there's a lot of, it is a drama, but there's a lot of funny moments in it. The acting is fantastic. Fantastic. And, um, you know, when I first, when she picked this one, I kind of went, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Of course, this is very Alicia. Um, but in true Alicia Malone fashion, what she did was teach me, um, and, and I enjoyed being taught because the movie is great and incredibly contemporary despite being almost 100 years old. Um, and, and she introduced me to this wonderful movie that just so happens has come up a lot in um, in 
episodes and conversations that I have had since uh, sitting down with her. So I'm, this one is going to be popping up a lot over the next couple of uh, episodes. So, it, you know, she's she is one of a kind and she is somebody that I have admired for so long. And it was truly a thrill for me to have her on the show. And I think you are going to like this one. And definitely I'm going to recommend uh, giving this movie a watch. You can find it. I think you can rent it on on any of your digital VOD streaming platforms, but um, it's really worth the watch and you'll you'll hear why. So uh, without further ado, here is Alicia Malone and the best years of our lives. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this one with you. I yeah. have a lot of fun questions. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, um, yeah, but before, before I get to my questions, um, let's just say hello. Hello. Alicia Horowitz here. Yay. Hi. I'm um, here in my sweatpants. Yes. And I have no makeup on. I and just don't you love it when you don't have a shoot or anything that you have to be on camera for? This <laughs> is the so beauty excited. of the podcast and yes. the format of the audio is that nobody can see you. Exactly. I um, have, so we saw each other just a couple of days ago and I was dying from allergies and I'm feeling so much better oh, now um, because I locked myself inside with the air filters on for like two days straight. Yeah. Um, but as a result, my nose is so chapped because I've been sneezing and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And uh, and I was having dinner with a friend yesterday and he's like, um, you have something on your face? And I was like, I'm sorry, my skin is peeling off. But Aww. I say that to say that no one can see. No one can which see. Which is great. And you look great. They, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, when I sat down with Danny Fernandez, um, she had just had LASIK. I heard that one yeah. with the, the blood vessels her, in her eye. Yes. Poor thing. And it was really funny because I didn't notice it at first. And then when she pointed it out and she's like, I look like 28 days later. I was like, oh, you now that you pointed out, it's pretty intense. Yeah. But she, she was fine. She was healing just fine. Yeah, she's great. You've had some great people on the podcast. I have already. been. It's been great. Very fortunate. And I'm so glad that you were available and could I come do this. I excited about this. And well, and you, um, I, so before we get into the actual film, you are podcasting mm-hmm. um, and it's for Filmstruck, yes? Yeah, yeah. It's called the Filmstruck Podcast and we do it bi-weekly and it's long form interviews mm-hmm. with filmmakers or writers, usually people behind the scenes of films. Plus we do a little segment called What's on Filmstruck where I talk to someone who works at Filmstruck mm-hmm. or TCM or sometimes film critics about the kinds of things they'd recommend on Filmstruck because it can be daunting when you go on the server so you don't know what to watch. Yes. And I do want to say the film that I chose today is on Filmstruck. Yay! <laughs> oh, excellent. See, and I don't have it and I have access to Turner Classic Movies is via uh, Dish, uh, the Dish, but they, I think, since Filmstruck has like become, I, I don't, are they connected? No, yes, they, kind yes, of. Yes. When is this podcast going to air? This is going to air in two weeks. So is that part? Is that after the? 23rd maybe not okay well I'll just say 23rd of Feb look out for an exciting announcement there you go it's more about that Um, but yeah but it's created by 10 classic movies and the Criterion Collection in partnership with each other so it's all the art house foreign films classic contemporaries everything right there it's very smart I think I watched Vertigo on um, the TCM app Mm. Um, and that that's such a great app like if you have access to cable or or satellite um, 
um, and you can pull up these things on demand. It's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I love TCM, Turner Classic Movies, mm-hmm. and that was one of my dream jobs when I moved here. I wrote it down on my little goal list that one day I would work with Turner Classic Movies. So I feel very, very grateful that I get to, That's to do this. Cool. Yeah. Well, and do the do the people who come on the Filmstruck podcast, do they um, speak about their careers or do they speak about classic films and or is it a mix? It's a mix. So with the, with the what's on Filmstruck section, I didn't want it to just be an ad Yes. about like, oh, you should watch this and this and this. And I always love asking the question about when they first got into movies, yeah. like why they decided to make a career about movies. So we'll be talking to programmers who work on TCM or Filmstruck or like I said, film critics. And I'll always ask like, how did your love of movies start? Mm-hmm. Who did you watch movies with? Because often when it comes to classic films and foreign films, there's a gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. There's someone there who has shown them a yeah. couple of classic films and sort of opened that door. Well, and you have become a gatekeeper for a lot of people. <laughs> it's my favorite thing in to do. In a good way. Well, and it is fun. Like, I feel that way when it comes to genre things, when people reach out. And and, and granted, I always say this, but and it is true. It's not me being um, humble by any means. Like, there are so many people that I am friends with who know so much more mm-hmm. about genre than I do. And they've seen every movie ever, and I have not. But it is exciting when people say, you know, I like this. What it, What would you recommend for that? I love that. Um, and and it's it's fun to connect those dots because I feel like I feel like communal movie going experiences can be few and far between now. Um, the idea that like how often do you and a group of friends get together and watch something small yeah. versus we're going to the cemetery or we're at a festival or whatever. Um, and so so it's nice to be able to do it digitally, even yeah. if you know. Absolutely, and and I just love when I hear from people saying. I didn't know about this film and then you talked about it. Now it's one of my favorites. I mean, that just makes me so happy. And I think because I tried to do that in high school with my little high school film club and nobody came (laughs) and nobody listened to me. And same when I worked at a video store Mm -hmm. and I would tell people who came in to hire movies, I would like, are you sure you want to go with that one? Why don't you try this classic? And a lot of people would just think I was annoying. So now I just get so excited that anyone listens to me that when people watch a film, they love it. It's the best feeling ever. Well, I've I've always been curious and I actually did write it down to ask, um, you know, like my dad, for instance, it was was one of the gatekeepers and introduced me to a lot of, um, you know, the, the Mel Brooks of the world or mm-hmm. the Princess Brides of the world. And then I had a babysitter who was young and super cool and an artist and she introduced me to the Beetlejuice and Labyrinth and all that of the world so when it came to classic film did you find it on your own or it was really my dad my dad loved classic movies and he would tape them all from the television we had these like precarious towers of VHS tapes all over our living room just filled with classic movies and he would always tape the introduction to the classic movies Uh too which was Bill Collins a famous film critic in Australia he was like our Robert Osborne Uh I used to always love watching those intros but he's the first one that said you know this is Hitchcock this is what a film director does Um, have a look at how he uses that shot and really got the ball rolling in not only classic film appreciation but just the art of filmmaking so from then on I just became such a nerd and I was reading a ton of film books and then all throughout my teen years I would go down to my local video store and get 
seven films for seven days for seven dollars and it was always a mixture of stuff that I'd read about some classic movies some indie films Mm -hmm. maybe some action thriller I was still always scared of horror but Mm -hmm. I would (laughs) still watch it and then I'd just go through all them and teach myself basically about film did he work in the arts or he was just an f- English teacher okay yeah but always loved film and books so uh-huh. they're the two things that he really gave me although it was frustrating living with an English teacher father because <laughs> I would give him a Christmas card and he'd take out his red pen and correct it oh wow <laughs> yeah that's amazing <laughs> and I'd be like dad I just I made this just for you and he'd say well incorrect grammar use here but hey, that taught me a lot about writing mm-hmm. and then books. Uh, he would always buy me a bunch of used books, particularly film books. Mm-hmm. And that was his present to me when I moved over to the US mm-hmm. was like Rebels on the Backlot about Quentin Tarantino yeah. and Soderbergh. So I've always been reading and learning about film and then trying to watch as much as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And that's all I did my teen years and it's all I continue to do now wow. on the weekends. Did he have a favorite movie? <laughs> I don't even know. That's a good question. I mean, we're not super close, yeah. but I should ask him that one day because I'm not sure. He loved, he definitely loved Hitchcock, um, Kubrick, I know. Mm. And then he would always watch things like Grease, lots of Marilyn Monroe movies. Oh, that's interesting. So there's a whole range of stuff, but yeah, and definitely a lot of comedies too, mm. a lot of Mel Brooks, Marx Brothers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I should ask him sometime, that's, see what it is. That's so interesting. Well, I just feel like it, you know, it's always, it's always funny to see what you're, so for instance, I, my dad, um, my, my dad is the night, he's super, super nice and he loves to have a good time and he's a great guy. Um, but as he's getting older, he is just turning into such a curmudgeon when it yeah. comes to entertainment. Um, and, and so it's just be everything like movies and tv and it's just i don't get it or i didn't think it was that good or i don't understand um and so he uh he texted me did he text i think he texted me uh just recently and said your mom and i are going to see the shape of water and and i said oh that's great and i and and you know my parents like some weird you know um they're it's not as though the premise of that would inherently freak them out yeah or they would be like wait what is it um but that being said knowing how my dad gets sometimes i was just like oh and so i texted him back and said well I hope you like it. I really liked it. Uh, it might be, you know, I don't know. Let me know what you think. Yeah. Um, so I followed up with him. When I didn't hear from him, I was like, mm. So I followed up with him. I said, so what did you think? Did you think it was, was it too weird for you guys? Or did you were you able to enjoy it? Because I always ask people, I don't know about you, but I've stopped using the terminology or of was it good yeah, or good was or it bad? bad. Yeah, exactly. I, I hate that black and white. Yeah. And, and it's also just like all I, the best I can say most of the time is I enjoyed it or yeah. I didn't enjoy it. And here's, here's why. why. Yeah. Um, but so for my dad, I texted him and was like, so did you, you know, were you able to enjoy it or was it too weird for you guys? And he texted me back and said, oh, we thought it, we both thought it was incredible. We oh, loved it. So great. Like he was just raving about it and nothing made me happier, you know, and gear. I've said this many times before, but I've told him this, but Guillermo del Toro is my favorite living director. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so it's always fun when your parents 
they introduce you to something and maybe they don't quite understand what it is that you do, but if you can find that little common yeah. ground where they they respond, it, it's just, it's always exciting. Absolutely. My mum always texts me and says, what should I watch on iTunes Australia? And I'll say, well, tell me what's available and then I'll give you some suggestions and I know the kinds of things that she likes. But even just Sundance recently, she was like, I wrote down all the movies that you talked about um, and I'll be interested to know which ones you think we would like it's so yeah it's really sweet. that's yeah, my, and my mom dad watch a ton of movies oh yeah. that's nice they you know and it's sweet that she like does she she listens to you she watches oh your yeah videos she'll be listening to this right now that's Hi, great mom. hello <laughs> she's the most supportive of me she's always yeah watching everything that I do oh. listening to everything that I do and taking my book around to people to say you should read this my daughter wrote this so wow. that's really sweet that is very sweet and I'm... telling like the bookstores in Canberra that they need to where I'm from that they should be carrying because it's by local yeah. Canberra girl Jets, I think she's and got a great point yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice when they my mom doesn't listen to anything that I say but um, uh, do they she, listen to your podcast? No. no oh no they don't watch anything that I do they don't listen to anything that I do they just my dad sees a picture on Facebook and goes, I saw your picture. And then that's it. He will never listen to this. They don't. It's so funny when it comes to podcasts, too, because I've been involved with um, this is the third one that I've been regularly involved with. And they still to this day, my dad says, so where can I watch it? Yeah. And I'm like, no, still not a video. And yeah. it's so easy. I, you just do it on your phone and it'll just mm, get the app. And yeah, but she she does. Um go through the paper and when the Oscar nominees come out, she'll cut it out and oh, she'll cross cool. them off and oh, she wants cool. to see all of them. Yeah. Um, and she's she's always, it's funny because it was my dad who actively watched movies when I was a kid and showed me things, but my mom loves movies and yeah. she loves television and she loves entertainment and she's you know, she she loves Tim Burton. She loves weird stuff. Like <laughs> it's it's um she even I one year I I for Christmas brought bought my brother, um, who I am not particularly close with, but trying to like, you know, connect with him. And so I bought him Drag Me to Hell on mm. um because I knew that would be something up his alley. Um and it's one of my favorite movies. And I uh, gave it to him for Christmas. And my my brother, my mom and I watched Drag Me to Hell on Christmas uh-huh. movies one year. It's a perfect Christmas <laughs> yeah. film. And she loved it, you know. Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but it is funny how, and and so when it comes to, you know, we will will talk about the movie in the specific movie, which is the best years of our lives. Yes. Um, But um, I also wanted to ask, like, I know that you're very passionate about classic film and indie film. Um, Do you ever find that you are able to, do you find that you're able to respond to contemporary stuff in similar ways, like with that same passion or do you feel kind of across mostly it's it's not just not your jam I I can but there's something so comforting to me about classic films and I think it's because I grew up watching them that as soon as I put on a classic black and white old film I feel relaxed Uh I feel at home I feel safe yeah it's so interesting but I do love contemporary films still um I was, it's when I moved over here, I was definitely much more into blockbusters mm-hmm. than I am now. I think that all the places I worked and just the amount of talking I had yes. to do about these films um, made me have an aversion to them. Absolutely. Really, and just, just seek out the kind of weirder, more interesting 
uh, well, in my opinion, more interesting, well, more original, yeah. more risk taking stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I really want to see Black Panther, mm-hmm. and that sounds amazing. And so I'll try and keep up with as much as I can. But yeah, there's nothing like the old classics for me. And even mm-hmm. if I've watched it a million times, I just love nothing more than staying at home and watching a classic film. Well, and so when was the first time that you saw this movie in particular? Because this is a movie where there are some classic movies um, that feel innocent almost um do not and and that can include movies that have tough subject matter um but this is a movie that feels very adult mm-hmm. and it has it, it is a drama and it has a lot of adult you know it's very funny there's a lot of there are a lot of real i like how they lean into the comedy yeah but um this is a movie that is long it's yes. not short yeah. and um uh, and it is serious mm-hmm. so when did you first discover this one I first discovered it was one of the films that I read about in uh, in a book when I was younger. Okay. And it was one that I circled and I wrote down and I went down to the video store to hire it. And, yeah, I, I remember thinking, oh, it's, it's a black and white film, It's which doesn't really put me off, but it was 172 minutes yeah. long. It's about World War II and the after effects of World War II. I didn't think that I would enjoy it. I thought it was just going to be one of the classic films that I should watch. Mm-hmm. That would be like the vegetables that you have to eat yes. in order to be a film buff. But... It's not like that at all. It's it's modern. It feels fresh. It's uh, timeless, and it has a lot to say. And it packs a huge emotional punch. And I remember crying when I first saw mm-hmm. it, and then every time since I was rewatched it this morning, yeah. and still it gets me every yeah. time. It is. It's funny because you know I um, I was writing, starting to write my notes um, as I was watching it, and um, and I there were t- at first there are hints of vegetables, like yeah. you know what I mean, to get everything started, and you meet the three guys, and you know, and I was kind of like, okay, well, this is okay, interesting, like you know, this is a classic, and it won so many Oscars, and it's highly regarded, and mm-hmm. it's William Wyler, and all those things, um, but then as we got into the character story, and as we got into the drama. Um, um, yeah, I found it very contemporary. Yeah, almost alarmingly contemporary. Absolutely, that something from the '40s. We are still having all of these conversations mm-hmm. in 2018. Absolutely, and it reminds you of the Hurt Locker, say mm-hmm. by Catherine Bigelow, which talks about war being a drug. Um, it reminds you of the Deer Hunter, or even something like Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. with Mr. Brooks. You know, not being able to get back in yes. into society after being institutionalized for so long. Yeah. So it touches on so many issues, and I just love the way it has these three characters, and then through these three characters, you're able to talk about alcoholism, mm-hmm. disability, uh, feeling ostracized from your community, uh, feeling. Uh, alienated from your relationships yeah. your family uh, feeling pity from people unemployment mm-hmm. I mean there's so much in here it's densely packed uh, but it's not sentimental or right. over the top and it, I think that's the big thing I think you're right I think you're absolutely right and you know I found even with um, like obviously the men are very endearing um, they can be frustrating at times mm-hmm. um, but I found the women very endearing and even uh, I want to say wait Marie Marie. Yeah, Marie, I think, is probably one of the more controversial figures in this movie. But I will say that up until the very, very, very end, I was kind of like, I see where she's coming. Like, I understand. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really hard to pull off, especially when you're talking about 
all of those subject matters that you just discussed, but also the time and place and the gender roles at the time. Like yeah. it was really cool to see um, six, seven, however main characters are really fleshed out characters. They are. And these guys are everyday heroes. You know, they're not made into these right. superheroes. They're just every everyday guys who went off to war and then they're coming back and trying to deal with it. And the women I do love. You've got Myrna Loy playing she's the wife, so Millie. She's so good. And she's trying to keep things together as her husband, Al, is struggling from alcoholism. Mm. Then you have young Peggy, played by Teresa Wright, who, you know, says she wants to break up a marriage between Fred and Marie because she loves Fred and she can see that Fred's not happy. Mm. And then the Fred and Marie relationship, you know, he married her just a month before he went off to service. So he doesn't really know her. She doesn't really know him. Mm -hmm. He's coming back from the war unemployed from being a pilot to being what he called a soda jerk mm -hmm. and just like working in these jobs, you know, scooping ice cream and making sandwiches. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't want that in her partner. She wants to go out and have fun and they don't have any money. So you see where she's coming from too. And then you have, of course, Homer and Wilma, Wilma. Is, they're engaged, but Homer <laughs> coming back from the war as a double amputee yeah. does not want to put that strain on Wilma and thinks that she would be better off without him. So he starts to push her away and she doesn't want that. So there's so many little dynamics going on here. It's packed, this movie. Like, it's, uh, it's long, but it really moves and it, it, it's interesting. It that, there's does. no filler. No, no, certainly not. No, not at all. And I think what I think with um, William Wyler, I was reading uh, Having Fought in World War II, and I have not seen the... Have you seen Five, Five Came Back? The documentary? Yeah. No, I've read the book. Okay, yeah. I haven't seen it either, and and I it hit me um, as you know as I was sort of getting ready for you to arrive. I was like, oh my god, I bet he's. I should have watched the documentary. Like <laughs> yeah. I knew, and um and that was Spielberg's segment. Yeah, Spielberg's segment is William Wyler, which I thought was very, and Capra's is Del Toro, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But um, it's such a you know I just had Mark Ellis um in your in that chair, <laughs> and we were talking about Good Morning Vietnam. And and it's amazing how we're still having such similar conversations about the way we treat our veterans yes. and the way and, and masculinity, mm -hmm. because I, that was something that was really, I mean, obviously it's easy for us to look at back and say, well, this is black and white times and this is 19, the 1940s. And of course it's these men are these macho men and all of that, they but provide yes. their family. Yeah. But yet these, these struggles are so, um, there's still things that you hear about veterans grappling with and struggling with when they come back all the time. Exactly. They come back, they, you know, don't know how to, how to get back into society. The family doesn't know how to treat them. They're doing their best. Um, they have to come back and try and find work mm -hmm. and, and they don't have much support. And then I love with this movie, the title of the film, The Best Years yes. of Our Lives, because you can take it in so many ways, yeah. right? You can take it like it's the best years of their lives because they're coming back from war and, and surely that would be in a really fun, amazing time where you see the world through rose-coloured glasses because suddenly you're out of this horrific situation, you're back with the people you love. Or, more, more accurately, the best years of their lives could have been during the war yeah. when they felt like they were important, when they were in charge, when they were doing something great for their country, um, when they were faced with that kind of life-and-death situation, adren adrenaline all the time. Or 
did they lose the best years of their lives mm-hmm. being in war? So they come back, they're older men, but they don't know who they are. And then, of course, someone like Homer, played by Howard Russell, mm-hmm. doesn't have his hands anymore and he was the football hero. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of lost some of the best years of, it, of his life in war. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and when, like, there are cer- certain scenes that, that when, like, for instance, when Al comes back and he offers his wife a cigarette and she's like, Did, I don't smoke. Don't you remember? Yeah. yeah. And, I and I just was kind of like, oh boy, this, oh no. you know, and, but there are so many, one of the things that I, I really liked about this movie was, um, we now have, and, and I am no scholar but when it comes to war, true, you know, acts yeah. of war and, and the history. I mean, I, I am fascinated by the information, but I, there's so much to unpack, um, and history remembers things in certain ways, mm-hmm. but specific to World War II, we have this mindset of now of, well, we were, America was here, we're heroes. We rolled in and saved the day. Um, And uh, on top of that, you know, everybody was, they came back and they were greeted as heroes. And and what was so amazing were these men who interacted with the veterans. And one scene in particular I mean, I wrote in all caps and underlined it. Whoa, <laughs> um, was uh, was the scene at the at the the food counter mm-hmm. um, where the man you know is talking to Homer and basically says, "Read the facts. Let me tell you about what the war was and what it is." And the fact that he kept saying facts, here are the real facts mm-hmm. to a person who was there. I was like, this could be a scene from now. Yeah, it These- could be a scene from Vietnam. It could be a scene now with Afghanistan or. Or Iraq, you know, you can imagine the people coming home from Vietnam with saying, well, this is, you shouldn't have gone because of this. And they just gave up a lot of their lives right. and lost a lot of their friends going to war. Yeah, that scene is really heartbreaking. And Homer's like, if I had my hands, I would punch you. Yes. And, you know, first he's trying to make light of the fact that, you know, he can still do all these things with his hooks for hands. Mm-hmm. But um, the guy, yeah, just keeps explaining, war explaining <laughs> the war to him. <laughs> It's like mansplaining, but with the war. I love it. And saying this is why, you know, this is why the war was wrong and this is why you shouldn't have gone. Uh And it's like, yeah, I gave up my whole life for this. Did you notice how, or or I'm sure you have, but one thing that I noticed that I really appreciated or thought, holy shit, like that's pointed, um, was Homer says, um, and I'm quoting the line, so I'm not speaking, you know, um, insensitively, Mm -hmm. but he says, uh, the Japs are the Nazis. Mm. And the man who he's speaking to repeats back to him the Japs are the Germans Mm. and I was like oh snap like you know what I mean that is such a small like a little teeny thing but oh my god that that's such a incredible quick exchange that tells you all you need to know about sentiment at the time exactly that's one thing that I love about this movie it does have some amazing visuals in there but mainly it's about what is being said in the dialogue yes and nothing is super poetic or over the top it's all just very pointed and every single line tells you something about that character and there's so much going on. I mean, one of my favourite scenes is just when Fred, who's the the Air Force pilot, um, when he leaves and his dad 
is reading about his achievements mm-hmm. and reading about what Fred did during the war, the the kind of trauma that he was in and, and what he did, the bravery of his own son. And that's the moment that always gets me yeah. every time. It's really, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, the parents, It's I really like that they give us in this movie the opportunity to see the parents and how different sets of parents respond in different ways. Mm-hmm. Wilma's parents respond in a way that is different from Homer's parents and so on and so forth. Yes. Um, and because I think, you know, it's it, these are kids that are men, young men who, who, I mean, could you, their parents lived through World War One and lived through, you know, I mean, I don't know, it, it's, it's a lot, but it's, it's mm. cool to see how different people were affected by, mm. um, in, in a single community were affected by this event. Exactly. And from so many different angles and so many different yeah. facets. And, you know, Harold Russell himself was, mm-hmm. was he was actually a double amputee. Mm-hmm. He was an instructor in the army and then he was doing a training video where a bomb exploded and he lost both of his mm-hmm. hands. And he brings so much to this role being a non-professional actor but someone who can definitely relate to the struggles mm-hmm. of his character. And then he won the honorary Oscar and I think he's only one of maybe two actors who non-professional that's ever won an Oscar it was also I was reading that uh he's one of the only people if not the only person I don't know if it was but um who who won two Oscars for the same role yeah which I thought it was like you read about the honorary Oscar because the producers are like well you know maybe he's not gonna we should just give him we need to give him something and then also though he he won in the actual category yeah he legitimately won and then the extra honor on top was so lovely because it was for his portrayal of that character but specifically the way he honored his fellow veterans right by playing this realistic character and this movie was quite out of place for its time because like you said William Wyler had experience with the war and then he loved British films that were doing were covering war and what was actually going on in the world in a much more realistic way than American films yeah a lot of American films were going through the lens of film noir Mm -hmm. or they were still doing escapist Hollywood stories and this is very brutally honest Mm -hmm. sensitive and emotional and it really surprised a lot of people I think well, okay, so you mentioned something a minute ago that gets into something that I wanted to specifically <laughs> dig into. Um, so uh, earlier when we were talking, one of the things that you said and I agree with is um, visually it's a pretty simple film mm-hmm. um, and it's the content that you know really makes it stand out. Um, so for the purposes of this list, something that I found really interesting, and I don't, you know, I'm not, the list is really just, I say this all the time, but it's only there to give us a little bit of a yeah, boundary. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, on both the 1998 list and the 2007 list, it's at the same number. 37. 37, both times. That is so rare for at least the ones we've been doing, they they often just shift like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they go up. Vertigo got bumped like 20 spaces up. Uh, Wizard of Oz got knocked down four spaces, you know, or whatever. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask, because I had that thought while I was watching this movie. This is a well-acted film for the time. I think it's very well-written. But visually, since film feels like such a visual medium... Mm-hmm. I I found myself kind of struggling with 
if there was anything that made it truly special. Mm. And if there was anything that made it definitively, in AFI's eyes, the 37th greatest film ever made. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, my opinion is that William Wyler, as he showed with something like Ben-Hur, he was... more than capable of doing these big flashy visuals but he wanted to get out of the way of the drama mm-hmm. in my opinion mm-hmm. he wanted to keep it super simple so that the story and the characters would shine through and not do too much flashy stuff that being said there is you know one of my other favorite moments is when fred goes into what is essentially a graveyard of planes yeah. and you see the big wide shot of all the planes yeah. that he used to fly which are now gathering dust and getting rusty and then when he goes into the plane, he starts to have some flashbacks. And there are some special effects for the time, mm-hmm. like the opening scene when they're in the plane and they're right. looking down at the, the going across the cities and going to their, the fictional town of Boone City back home. Um, so there are some little tricks in there, but I think that William Wyler made the right decision of just getting out of the way mm-hmm. of the story and just letting it be all about these characters and all about the dialogue and so that you can really concentrate on everything that's being said. There are lots of long takes Mm. too, which is not uncommon for the time. Um, It's definitely far less common now. Um, But, you know, letting letting the camera just go and letting the actors act. Yeah. um, Which is is simple and interesting. Um, And there are some visually compelling shots, like when Al and Fred are sitting across the table from each other and it's this perfectly symmetrical where Mm -hmm. Al goes to tell Fred like you need to stop leave my daughter alone kind of thing Um, I mean I specifically noticed that the camera just stopped and let it go and it does cut eventually to a close up but you know what I mean like there are are things that are distinct Mm -hmm. Um, and I think even some of the long takes are sort of held a bit longer in order to make you almost feel uncomfortable there's a scene when Al is getting drunk and he's speaking in front of all his um, bank associates yes. about how they should support vets. And a lot of those, those shots are held very long and, and you just, you're just almost on edge because you don't know what he's going to do. Okay. You feel so bad for his wife. It cuts back to her every once in a while. She's sitting there and she doesn't know what he's going to say because he's just getting drunk and he's an alcoholic and he's struggling. And so it's really interesting. And then there's, of course, like the... Scenes when they have dreams, the PTSD. Mm-hmm. So there are some visual, visually interesting shots in there. And I think a lot is done for a specific reason. Mm-hmm. And do you think that, in your opinion, um, do you think that this is the 37th greatest movie <laughs> of American movie of all time? I think so. I mean, I don't know exactly what order I would sure. put it in, but I think that one of the reasons it stood out to me when I looked at the list in preparation mm-hmm. for the podcast was because I feel like not many people have actually seen it. I had never even heard of it. Yeah, interesting. Honestly. Since, like, I, I have no I have no shame. But you would have seen it, right? Raven Holiday, Ben-Hur, and all the Absolutely. other William Wyler films. Mrs. Miniver even yep. is better known Absolutely. than this one. And I think that it's crazy that it's not better known because it is such a well-made, well-acted, well-written movie. And again, it's one of my favorite things to do is take these movies that on the surface do film seem, seem very daunting and seem like you wouldn't be able to relate to it and then talk about it and hopefully people will see it and then they'll realize how vibrant and fresh it still is. Well, but yeah, I think it definitely deserves to be on there for sure. Well, you know what's interesting? We talk about with regards to the list um, that – 
I believe this movie should be called, or this list should be called the 100 most influential mm-hmm. movies of all time. Because, you know, like for instance, when I had Jen Yamato on and we were talking about A New Hope, I don't think that A New Hope is even the best Star Wars movie, mm. let alone the number 20 or whatever number it was, greatest American movie of all time. This is not a knock against Star Wars, but this, and Star Wars obviously changed the entertainment industry yeah. and the legacy is still going but again I don't believe it's the whatever number greatest American movie ever Um, and so what's interesting about this movie and I agree with you like people maybe have forgotten about it or it has been lost in terms of the Ben-Hurs and the Roman holidays of the Mm -hmm. world Um, the flashier films or the funnier films right yeah and so I wonder though if it's a case of this actually being one of the best Mm. and not influential Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's um, influenced quite a lot of people in terms of direction, direction, directing style and also the way that it captures war as mm-hmm. being maybe something that soldiers enjoyed and, and how hard it is for them to come back into society because that wasn't really seen at the time. Um, but definitely I would say it is one of the best. It's got, you know, rightly so, won seven Oscars. I agree with mm-hmm. all of them. Directing, uh, writing, producing, acting on every level, I think it's superbly made, mm-hmm. really well executed. Uh, I'd love to know how they decide on like the greatest. Or what does that term mean when you're trying to think about film? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really hard, you know. And um, and you know there are there are things it's on one of the most impactful films ever. Yeah, made, maybe. Oh, I yeah. Mean, <laughs> it, it's it's who knows who, who knows? knows what it means. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it's uh, and 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 the people that get the opportunity to vote are you know probably a certain section of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's part of the reason why I really like doing this show is. Because because other people get to weigh in. But oftentimes what we find is that, you know, these movies are great and they, they're they on these lists for a reason, yeah. even if we don't agree with the placement or something like that. You know yeah, what I exactly, mean? Exactly, exactly. And I think it's, a, it's just a really good place to start. Yes. If you want to get into classic films, you don't know where... Uh, how you don't have someone showing you the way. Uh, I always say go to the AFI list mm-hmm. or the Hollywood Reporter did a list as well that's a little bit more inclusive and it's just a good way to like tick off some boxes and get a feel for classic films and see some of the the quote-unquote greatest, of the ones that you should see if you want to be a film buff. Well, and do you think um, – why do you think that this one is less known? Yeah, interesting. Or, I, I wonder if it is because it's – seems on the surface like something that has been done before mm-hmm. something that sounds very familiar or again maybe it just doesn't sound that interesting mm-hmm. um but I I do wonder that and I, I had seen it as a teenager like I said and then I only just revisited this film a couple of months ago mm. because I was talking to Scott McGee who's a producer at TCM and Filmstruck mm-hmm. and I was asking him what his favorite film is and he said The Best Years of Our wow, Lives and I had kind of forgotten about the yeah. movie. And I thought, oh yeah, and he was saying, yeah, and there's reasons why he liked it and I thought I've got to watch that film again. And it was coming on Filmstruck, so I watched it, did it for my little Filmstruck Fridays Mm -hmm. series that I do on YouTube and just reminded me of how great this film is and how it is one of the best pictures Mm -hmm. or the best films of our lives for sure. So just re-watching it again, I was like, why don't we talk about this film more? And then that 
you gave me a great opportunity. <laughs> yes, and I'm so, so glad. I appreciate that, it. I'm glad that you took it. I and really hope people do watch it. Well, I think, you know, I think it's, I, again, like, you know, my initial impressions were kind of like, all right, this feels like broccoli. But very quickly, once I, once I really got into it, I'd mm. say 20 minutes in, 25 minutes in, I realized, oh, okay. It's compelling. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, it might be because, in addition to the fact that it isn't a flashy movie, um, you know, with like Roman Holiday, you introduce the world to Audrey Hepburn mm-hmm. or, and you have movie star in, um, in Gregory Peck, um, or with Ben-Hur, you have the, uh, the seat, the, the chariot, the race, chariot yeah. race, exactly. And so it's like, you can't really point to one thing in this very subtle film, mm-hmm. but I think oftentimes, you know, the, they make it look easy yeah. when it's subtle. And there aren't, of course, like Myrna Loy is a, is a name and there are names that you yeah, may recognize. Dana but Andrews, yeah. Frederick much, but not huge names. Right, yeah. exactly. Not these like iconic stars. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think you're right, you know, and that happens a lot with Oscars these days. Yes. <laughs> is that the films that do appear effortless often aren't the ones to win because they lose to the flashier kind of movies and particularly with performances, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes the performances that just come across as being so easy uh, because the actor makes it look easy mm-hmm. are the ones that don't get nominated because the flashier roles where someone has to lose weight or transform mm-hmm. or whatever it is, yeah. part of the story usually wins. Sure. Okay, so um, as I told you, everybody gets the opportunity to add a movie mm-hmm. that is not on the list to the list um and so do you have one i sure do okay because uh one of the most glaring omissions from the afi greatest 100 american movies of all time list is the fact that it doesn't have any female directors yes and i think that that really does speak to the bias that female directors are constantly up against which is their work not being taken as seriously as their male counterparts we talked about the oscars that's a classic thing I'm so glad Greta is nominated this year, mm-hmm. thank God. But uh, you see it on YouTube with the with video essays. You mm-hmm. know, nobody really gives that level of, um, you know, of reverence to movies made by female directors. And as I wrote in my book, there's been so many great female film directors throughout the entire history of American cinema who have been right there. They've been making great movies, Mm -hmm. but they don't teach them in film schools and they're often not in the film history books. So one of the ones that definitely deserves to be on the list is Dorothy Arzner. Uh-huh. She was the only female filmmaker working in the 1930s mm-hmm. in Hollywood and she made commercially successful movies that were also very critically acclaimed and very feminist. Mm-hmm. So she did The Wild Party with Clara Bow and mm-hmm. that was where she actually invented the boom microphone mm-hmm. by putting it on a fishing rod so that Clara could move freely without having to have that big microphone hidden somewhere mm-hmm. in her costume or, or the props. And then she made Christopher Strong with Catherine Hepburn as a female aviator, which a great film but the one that I want to talk about the one that should be on the list is called Dance Girl Dance mm-hmm. and it's from 1940 okay and it's, it's a very feminist film it's a it's a sharp look at how women are treated in entertainment mm-hmm. so it stars Maureen O'Hara and Lucille Ball mm-hmm. and Maureen plays a ballerina who starts to work at a burlesque club and Lucille Ball is a stripper mm-hmm. and they're rivals in love and in performance And there's one scene that is just 
so wonderful. It's Maureen O'Hara. She is doing her uh, ballet sequence mm-hmm. for the audience. So the audience are, are all men. They just are jeering at her to take her clothes off. Mm-hmm. That's all they want to see. It's just her. They don't care about her art. So they just want to see her take her clothes right. off. So she stops. They're throwing things at her. They're being horrible. They're laughing. And she stops and she goes up to the stage and she looks at them in the eye, uh, all the audience, and she says, um, she's like, what are you laughing at? I know that you guys think you're so great there with your 50 cents wanting to see women take off the clothes for you because you don't get that home. Mm -hmm. But uh, don't you know we're laughing at you too because you're so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then then what, you get to go back home and pretend to be the stronger sex for a minute if your wives will let you, um, but you're nothing. And it's just so, so wonderful where for once you see, particularly for the time in 1940, you see the women fight back and say, no, you will not just treat me like an object. And and if I am subjected to that, guess what? I'm laughing at you. Mm -hmm. You know, you think you're so great, but you're not. It was so scathing for the time Mm -hmm. that. A lot of people didn't relate to it. It didn't do very well. And then it got rediscovered in the 1970s mm. with Second Wave Feminism mm-hmm. and it became one of these great feminist movies. So that is a film that was hugely influential that um, was made by a brilliant filmmaker who doesn't get her dues and is really entertaining and I would love people to watch it and it should be on the list. Okay. There's 100, no female directors. I mean, there's great female roles in there. Yeah. But it's crazy. There's no female directors in there. And... And just, I, I'm curious just to tease it out a little bit more in terms of, so would you add, would you add that movie to our influential list Mm -hmm. or our greatest list or both? Yeah, I'd say both. I'd say both. I mean, I don't know if the film, well, I guess you could say that the film itself is influential because a lot of the people that discovered it in the 1970s were these filmmakers, mm-hmm. female filmmakers, who, you know, from when Dorothy Arzner left and she actually taught at UCLA and she taught Francis Ford Coppola directing. Mm. Interesting. So she left the trade and started teaching and then there was a couple of women throughout the 50s but not many in 60s and some like experimental art people in the 60s, filmmakers, but then the 70s was when women started coming back, Mm -hmm. back into making film because it became easier to make independent cinema and with the production code leaving, Mm -hmm. it was more open. So a lot of the female filmmakers of the 70s discovered Dorothy Arzner's film and were hugely influenced Mm -hmm. by it and thought, here, we can make movies about women that speak to women and have very... um, very like interesting female protagonists mm-hmm. and um and it will be successful so I think it is influential and then it is also one of the best because it's really well made it has a lot to say mm-hmm. a lot going on underneath mm-hmm. you know? yeah okay so um it's funny and it's also disturbing <laughs> I um I I wanna so I'm gonna spring something on you yeah um and I'm just curious do you have a movie because so, okay when I when I give my guests the pitch mm-hmm. I say you can be as on brand or as off brand as you want so Mark Ellis picking a comedy makes perfect sense but yep. to me Hector Navarro picking Snow White and the Seven Dwarves I was like wait, wait. what. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so, so, so Alicia Malone picking this movie is, or uh, the best years of our lives is not shocking to me. Right. So, see, I thought it might be because it's like a very masculine movie, but it's got great women too. Yeah. But it's a war film, you know. And but it's classic cinema. It's yeah. one of the iconic directors. Um, and so, um, I'm curious. Do you have a movie or movies that you absolutely love of any time period that people would be shocked to know? that you love yes what I really do love terrible movies okay like I have a deep affection and I've I've defended many times of showgirls yes okay which people are surprised by because it is you know about strippers and it I I do think it's a interesting satire satire about Hollywood I think you're right but it also is a terrible movie I love Grease too. sure a lot even though it's bad and <laughs> is um, it Maxwell Caulfield Australian yes, yeah he is. there it is yeah and yeah he is he's playing like British in this yeah. so it just doesn't make sense <laughs> and then I love um Xanadu okay it's terrible uh so I I have a great love of that. And I also love really bad sequels to pretty already terrible movies like Wild Things 2. Mm, whoa. I didn't even know there was one. Yeah, there's a whole lot of Wild Things. <laughs> a whole lot of Poison Ivies, like two, uh-huh. three, four, just get worse and worse as they go. Cruel Intentions yes, 2. Yes, yes. With Amy Adams. Oh, my God. Love those movies. So I think people would be surprised to hear that I love some really bad movies with all my heart because, you know, I always talk about these classics and <laughs> How, how did you discover poison, the Poison Ivy franchise? Yeah. And the I, I, I need to know that story or the... The, yeah, the Wild Things Wild too. Things fran- franchise. Yeah, because Poison Ivy was because I loved Drew Barrymore when yep. I was a teenager. And I used to cut my hair like her. I had posters of her all on my wall, read her autobiography. And then uh, so I discovered Poison Ivy itself from that. And I think that's like campy and fun and um, dark as well. Interesting movie. And then from there... I, again, in the video store, this was when I was working at the video mm-hmm. store, came across Poison Ivy 2, which we had, I think, in like the, it's almost like the soft core yes. section. Yes. It was like next to Edward Penis Hands and that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and these VHS tapes. So I was like, I've got to watch this. And Wild Things 2, I remember being, it being on television and me catching some of it and just being like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. This is amazing. Um, American Pie, there's a whole series of, of like Beta House and all these really bad ones that are just so cheesy and I found them all through working at the video store as well. Okay. So I just really, yeah, I love them and love that's kind of like a, a nice little escape. You yeah, know, I love it. Switch your brain off, watch these film, films. I and then it. I do love, we were talking the other night about Face Off. Yes. I really, really love I think it's a great movie. Films. Yeah. I think it's a great film. I and love Cage films. He's Cage. ridiculously good. And people I think forget. He's underrated. I agree. As, as an actual fantastic performer and not as just a star or as someone to make fun of. Yep. I, I agree. Let's we'll, I'll have you back and we'll do a Nicolas yeah. Cage adventure Let's do because it. I you me and Holly Payne are yes. the biggest like I agree. I think he is underrated, underappreciated. Uh-huh. Um and he commits. Yes, he to does. His roles. 100%. And it's so great seeing him be John Travolta in <laughs> It's I, so, like you can tell the difference when he's being his character when he's being he's like, so it's really well done I forget like you know what I yeah. mean they're so good with like the voice changes and the little mannerisms yeah. that you really do forget that 
I just I know. I, and then him in the priest outfit. Oh, beginning it's singing. And, oh my god, <laughs> I love it so much. I love it too. We need to do a okay. We'll do a very special episode where we can talk okay. about Nicholas Cage yeah. face off. Um, all right, last question for you before you go because I want to know. I said my favorite living director is Guillermo del Toro. Mm. Do you have a favorite living director? I think it changes. Okay, a, a lot. couple of them. Um, yeah, a couple of them. Well, someone that I'm gonna get to talk to on the Filmstruck podcast next week, which I'm really excited is Ruben Ostlin. Okay. And he is such a fascinating filmmaker. He just did The Square, yes. which is nominated for an Academy Award for Foreign Language Film. Yes. He's Swedish, but he makes these movies that just hold up a, a mirror to yourself and you wonder, what would I do in that situation? Yeah. His film Before the Square was Force Majeure. Yes. Which is like when a natural disaster hits, what do you do? And the guy in the movie just, he doesn't try to save his family. He just tries to save himself and then the repercussions of that. So it's really interesting. So I love him. I also love Lynn Ramsey. Okay. She is so skilled at using sound design and visuals to put you in the mind of the character. Mm -hmm. And, of course, she made We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is such an unsettling movie. And You Will Never Really Hear is her latest one with Joaquin Phoenix coming out soon. And uh, watching some of her previous movies like Ratcatcher, I'm just so amazed at how she can use sound, how she strips away all the dialogue and exposition and you get everything that you need to get about the character just from her sound design and images. Mm-hmm. And then Sean Baker, I think, is someone who's really fascinating uh, in terms of making films about communities that we don't normally see mm-hmm. on screen, mm-hmm. like The Florida Project, Tangerine, sure. uh, Prince of Broadway. You know, he's done so many great movies, Takeout. Yeah, so there's there's lots. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a fan. I love that directors. Oh, and I mean, David Fincher is still one of my favorites, and Yorgos Lanthimos. Yes, 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 yes. Because of course, of the Lobster and Killing the Sacred Deer. Of course, I I, I want to see more from Fincher. Yes, you know? I know. It's I know because I know he's, he did Mindhunter yep. on Netflix, which I still haven't seen. Just crazy, given that I love him so much. But I just love his movies. Yeah, Fight Club was a film that's. It, changed my life yeah and really made me think again about the art of the person that's making the film yes and, and what they have to say his color grading it's amazing i i could watch zodiac yeah i've watched it a million times i it's love so it creepy. it's long but it's like it's i remember i'm notorious for falling asleep in midnight screenings <laughs> and i saw that one at and midnight wide awake uh, wide awake <laughs> yeah. just like mm-hmm. and um it's so dense and, and yeah, I'll add to our bonus episode, uh, Gone Girl. Gone Girl, yeah. Because I would love really to have an extended that. conversation with you about Gone Girl. So interesting. I loved the book and then I loved the way it was done. I think it has a lot to say about women in particular. I agree. Yeah. And and I also <laughs> like how it's – the it was fortunate because the audience I saw it with laughed a lot. And I think okay. that is – the point. Yes. I think it is a very dark comedy yep. in the vein of American Psycho. It's satire in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. It is. Um, and I think people just really missed it because boy, are they afraid of a woman, quote fingers, going crazy on exactly. them. And exactly. And, and I love what she has to say about being the cool girl. Yes. Like it's, it's so good, the performance. And the casting of Ben Affleck could not be more perfect because he is a guy who is constantly referred to in the book and the film as having that smirk, that smirk that you just want to smack off his face <laughs> and he looks like he's always laughing and Ben always looks like he yeah. has a smile on his face even when he's being serious. Yes. 
Yeah. Good old Ben Affleck. Okay, okay. We've got lots to talk about. We, we do. need to do more episodes. I know. You have, yeah. <laughs> With all that free time that you have. I know, but you know, any time we get to talk about film is my favorite. I love it. Well, Alicia, thank you for making the time and this was so fun. Thanks for having me. This was great. Yay. <laughs> friends that's going to do it for us today I hope you enjoyed that episode uh, the movie really is great and absolutely worth a watch it is just amazing how timely it is considering it's almost a century old um, and uh, I definitely recommend you giving it a watch if you haven't seen it before or maybe even giving it a rewatch because there this movie has come up a lot in future episodes um, and uh, so I think it'll be worth I think it'll be worth checking out and once again thank you so much to Alicia Malone for coming on to the podcast. Her book, Backwards and in Heels, is available for purchase now. And coming up this Thursday is Patreon Day. So the Patreon mini for people who contribute $5 and more every month um, is going up. And Alicia and I have a really, really fun conversation about the Academy Awards um, and among other things. So it's a good one. You definitely want to check it out. If you, uh, But if you can't contribute or if you're not interested in contributing financially, totally fine. If you could, please go onto your podcast app of choice and rate and review the show. Subscribe to the show. That helps uh, other audience members find the show on their podcast app of choice. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And I will see you on Patreon on Thursday. (laughs) 